Bee Therapy, conversations about bees with Patrice Newell and Danny Lloyd Pritchard. Today we're going to start off, as we always do, with a quiz. We've got an important book, Beeswax Alchemy, to talk about and all the different things with the wax that are very useful when you're a beekeeper and special sweet recipes. Danny, tell us, what's the quiz? The question is, what does the term robbing mean in beekeeping? No hints there. Let's get on straight away onto our book. Beeswax Alchemy came out in 2015, this book. It's got a subtitle, How to Make Your Own Candles, Soaps, Balms, Salves and Home Decor from the Hive. Everything you do, you need to make if you have a bee, if you have a beehive. It's a woman, Petra Arnut. What do you think? Is it one of your favourite books? <laughs> it's definitely one of those books I pick up and look at. Um, it's full of delicious looking images. The photos just make you want to dive in and try every single, it's not really a recipe, but the the activities that she presents in the book. I just want to try them all. I want to make everything that she's photographed in this book. I think it. when I first saw it, I thought this would make a beekeeper want to get a beehive so that they can become a candle maker. Because certainly in the olden days in Europe, uh, especially when monasteries managed a lot of the beehives, uh, it was always about the honey and the wax for the candles in the church. And I know that was one of the things Philip said to me when we got the business, oh, fantastic making candles. And I did start making candles, buying those unbelievably expensive moulds, candle moulds, to put into our old, so long traditional ones, are the ones that I've got. Uh, and I always used to make wax candles, always. Do you make candles regularly as a thing and use them? I tend to make them towards Christmas, the end of the year. So I save up my wax throughout the year and then I'll have a day of candle making and I'll try and involve the family if I can and I'll line out you know, maybe a dozen moulds and I'll melt down a couple of kilos of wax and try and make candles in bulk. Use all the wax Use up. Use it all in one go, yes. I also have a lot of friends that ask me for wax because they like to make these lotions and potions and, and other crafty things using beeswax. Um, my children are into the music scene and they do have some friends that use some old period musical instruments and a lot of those require beeswax to preserve the timber and for the mouthpieces on those instruments. So I feel like my wax has gone into very strange areas but it's great to hear. It's bringing in that history of the wax that you talk about and certainly this book by Petra, she does go into a little bit of the history and coming from a German background, she's very precise in her description of how to use the wax. And she was a soap maker before she moved into using beeswax to make products as well. So it's a very informative book. And it is a good book that you can start at the beginning and work your way through and by the end, you're going to be a master crafts person of beeswax. I think we should go back to the beginning on how we extract the wax, how we actually get the wax, because not every bit of wax is equal in a beehive. So I don't know about you, but I have my capping wax, bright yellow and gorgeous for special things, and then lesser quality waxes. 
Mm. defined by the colour primarily. Yes, I find the cappings wax out of my hives, if I get them early in spring with the really strong flows of honey, are almost white. So that is the premium wax for my candle making and balms and things like that. I don't get a large amount of that out of my hives when you're just collecting the cappings. If I have, say, one box of honey on a hive, I'll take that off. I'm lucky if I get, say, 250 grams of that white pure, beautiful wax. But over time, when I collect it up, by the end of the year, I'm ready to make the nice candles. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I hear what you're saying there. It is one of the most beautiful sights in the hive, isn't it? So let's say you've got one box, one box with a queen and she's just breeding and it's the end of winter. And what I judge that white wax production to be the defining thing when I go to put the top box on where I get the honey. Do you do that? Yes. It's a sign that they're on a strong flow of nectar and they're expanding and there's a lot of young bees producing a lot of wax. So it is the young bees at a certain age that will product, like produce those wax scales. It's incredible to see if you've ever seen a bee and looked at the underbelly of it and you'll see it's got like these eight little spots. They're glands. It's like sweat glands. And that's, wax glands. It is wax glands. <laughs> and they need to be on a particularly strong flow of, like I said, the nectar, but also the pollen has to be coming into the hive because that's all the trigger to that colony that it's time to expand. It's a fabulous it's example, isn't it, where the environmental conditions and the function and the age of the animal produces the optimum you know, momentum to be productive. When I started beekeeping, I used to cut the wax off um, a frame of honey and then I would store that and then strain that later. But after about five years, I switched to just scraping it and I, as a consequence, I get a lot less capping. Hmm. That's true. So there's several methods you can use to uncap the honeycomb and I started out using a heated knife and I was finding that it was actually searing the honey. You could almost hear it sizzle as the knife removed the cappings off the honeycomb. I could almost smell the burnt honey. And I thought, this is not treating the honey with respect. I felt I'm cooking my honey before I even extract it. And it was also slightly melting the wax. And yeah, so I then I turned from that then to a cold serrated uncapping knife. So it requires a little bit more manual effort to saw the cappings off, See, but I it used is a cold a, method. Was that a special knife you used? Because I just used a bread knife. Oh, I went and bought one. It's actually an uncapping, serrated uncapping knife that you buy from a beekeeping supplier. Um, and you same still with use knife. that now? I do. I do. I prefer cold extraction. Yes, I do cold extraction, but I'm scraping. So you're still slicing the cappings off. And do you do that so that there's less wax in the honey or... Tell yes, me. yes, I do. And like you've method, you, you've mentioned using a scraper or a fork to take the cappings mm. off. I will do that if I can't physically remove it with my knife. But but why use the knife? I guess that's what I want to yeah. understand. I'm trying to save as much as the honeycomb as possible. So there's less damage to that comb. When I put it back into the hive, the bees will be able to get straight back in to storing the honey again. And then all they'll have to do is cap off those cells as opposed to reconstruct the entire honeycomb, which consumes a lot of honey in your hive. So just say we've gone to the hive, we've taken the frame of honey out, we've brought it back to our shed, we've sliced, or in my case, scraped, 
uh, the wax to release the honey and put it in and then through a centrifuge is you've got suddenly got the honey out and then you take that frame back to the hive we call that then a sticky appropriately named and that goes back into the hive and then miraculously you know very quickly that looks like you hadn't even extracted the honey they're just at it again but i think you can often tell is it you can tell the skill of the beekeeper by the scope of the damage of the sticky do you think that you know, I think so. you know you can have that spinner on you know you've gone yes. too far and you've half split it open and you've put something back and it's damaged and of course that is the wax frame for the next wave so you've got your, your scrapings you've got your wax and it's mixed up with the honey what do you do then it's in a tub mm. in your honey shed i'll tell you what i do because i don't like to waste anything from my hives I will take those cappings, which are coated in honey, I'll put them in a bucket and I'll mix them with water. And I actually dissolve the honey off the cappings and I save that water because I have a love of mead. That's another conversation we're going to have, but I do not waste that, that honey water. That is a long okay. conversation. That is a long conversation. So let's just go with I wash the cappings, I strain them, and then I put those cappings out to dry. I don't expose them to the environment where bees can access them but I do dry them on a rack and once they're dry that's when I take them through the process of melting them down and straining them to get a nice pure clean block of wax ready for my crafts. That's a little bit more work but then I'm not a mead maker so I can see the value in doing that by putting the honey in, into the water. The very first time I just put the whole thing and heated it on the stove and then when it settled you had the honey on the bottom and the wax on the top and took it off. But again, you were heating the honey, so I didn't like doing that. So we just strain it and strain it and strain it. And then I finally went and bought a a long saucepan with a handle, which was a candle-making wax-melting apparatus, you know, a saucepan that's longer than it is wider with a handle, and... Uh, and I, and then I sit that in a saucepan. And I, I, I remember the first time I got it, I thought, I wish I'd got that 20 years ago because it is more convenient, even though you've got to do it in small batches. So, um, have you got one of those? I started out with one of those and then we had a disaster with wax going everywhere and it, it was outside on the barbecue and it fell over and it, it was hot and dinted. And anyway, we got rid of that apparatus. I tend to melt my honey, uh, my wax down now in the microwave. Oh, I know. Isn't that dangerous? Can't well, you just explode it? Yes, it's happened. <laughs> You learn, Patrice. It's all learning. Look, you know, we're okay, talking so hey, about hey, small, we, small amounts we, of wax we have here. To, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> we, we have to say here we're not recommending the listener puts wax in the microwave, are we, Danny? <laughs> you need to have an old microwave. You need to operate it on very low and for short bursts of time and be watching what you're doing. What's a short burst of time? Oh, five minutes on low. Check it. How, Keep much, a how much wax are we talking about? I'm talking less than a kilo. This is, this is small amounts. If we're a, a large beekeeper, we're not going to muck around like we're talking here. You know, this is for the small backyard beekeeper that might only get half a kilo or a kilo of wax at a time from extracting some honey. If you're a commercial beekeeper, or if you've got, say, 20 hives or more, you would probably want to invest in a specifically made wax melter. 
you can get solar wax melters or you can get electric wax melters. So the electric wax melters require you to add water to that contraption so that the wax is in water and it slowly melts it. And it can be in there for days settling before you'll actually take the liquid wax off. The solar wax melters, it's outside and the sun does that beautiful melting for you and separates the what we call slum gum from the nice wax. So yeah, there's there's different ways to do it. And in the book, she's working from already prepared pure blocks of wax. And that's where we need to start. <laughs> okay, we've already made the mess, blown up your microwave, you know, had a fire out in the garden, but you suddenly got wax. Mm. And now you look at your book, Beeswax Alchemy, to feel inspired. Have you made anything to the recipe? I have. <laughs> I have. I, so we've, we've dabbled in candle making and that's, that's always interesting. The one recipe I tried recently was her beeswax wraps. She calls them cotton wraps and that's just pure beeswax on a nice piece of cotton cloth. Very easy to do. Again, you have to melt that wax though. And this is a dangerous part working with Matt wax. You know, you've got to be careful. It will burn you. If you get it on your skin, it's hot. So, Follow her instructions exactly and take all care when you're dealing with melted wax. Okay, now I have not read that, done that from here. Did you, you had your pot with melted wax Mm -hmm. and then you put the cotton cloth in? She talks about two ways. So one way is you can use a paintbrush. Yes. Dip it in and paint it over the cloth. Another way is you can just dip it in and then you can spread it out on a tray to dry or hang it up on a little clothesline. It's a messy business. You cannot be creative without making a mess. That's true. We should remember that. I find I was given a lot of wax sheets originally, and then, of course, you use them all the time, and then, well, they sort of start malfunctioning. The wax disappears through use. Uh, And once I have a little bar, like a a little little moulds that say beeswax, and I offered them to people. Oh, would you like a little bit of beeswax, you know, for your wraps? And most people said no, because they were not used. I was surprised. A lot of people are still not using beeswax wraps. But I grate, and I I bought a special grater, so it was just wax, as I keep it separately, and I grate it on. And on a very hot day, it works if you lay it in the sun to just add that wax but I still find the ironing board with newspaper and cloth underneath and then wax paper over the top just to iron it through to really give it another good coating. I had a friend come the other day with a cake wrap and it was a really big, it was like they'd used an old tea towel. And I thought that was the perfect size. I don't have one that big, but that's my next next thing to have one that because that is probably more useful than the small ones that I use for wrapping a vegetable or cheese say in the yeah. fridge. They're they're incredible the way they preserve your fruits and vegetables mm. in the in the fridge. So yeah, that that's just one of her recipes. There's a lot here. I I would recommend it for people that want to dabble in the wax making industry, particularly the lip balms. Everybody likes a good lip balm. The the furniture polish you know, there's a lot of things there. There's lotions for your skin, the soaps that she mentions, and even just having fire starters. You know, you can use beeswax as a wonderful fire starter. It, and yeah, yeah, and infuse it with some essential oils to get those beautiful aromas in your in your okay, house. Okay, I didn't do that, but I did um, I, because we've always I grow lots of herbs, rosemary and lavender and pungent ones like that, which are perfect in an open fire. 
And I just sprinkled those on the wax. So even when I'm straining the wax, say, in muslin, when I'm doing trying to clean the wax, um, and then you've got, you just cut it all up. So any bits of cloth that you've used, just cut it up, and they serve us all winter. Great. And also in the Weber, if we're barbecuing. Fantastic. So this really beautiful-looking book, Beeswax Alchemy, by Petra Arnut, we think her name is pronounced, it's A-H-N-E-R-T, is certainly a gift for every beekeeper, a gift book for every beekeeper or bee lover for that matter. Because if you have a friend who's a beekeeper, well, then you've got a bit of a supply of wax. So it always pays to have a bee buddy, doesn't it? Yes. What about a recipe? Oh, let's delve into this. This is one of my favourites, a recent discovery. I'm calling it chocolate honey bites. Okay. (laughs) So they're little chocolates that you make at home. You'll, you will need a chocolate mould, one of those silicon moulds that have about 15 little cavities so you can make nice bite-sized chocolates. I use a rich, dark chocolate, organic if possible. And you only need about 150 grams of that dark chocolate. You need to melt it however you choose, being careful, of course. It's a little bit like molten wax at times when you deal with chocolate. So we'll melt Is that, that dark chocolate. Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> Always be careful. <laughs> So we've melted our delicious dark chocolate. Then we're going to put a teaspoon of that melted chocolate into each of the cavities of our mould and we're going to spread it around the side of the moulds and we're going to let it set. So it's about half full. That's a bit fiddly. It's fiddly. It's worth it. Okay. Believe me, (laughs) I haven't finished yet. And you need to try one of these chocolates later. (laughs) Once that's set, so I just set it in the middle part of my fridge. It only takes probably five to ten minutes to set. I'll bring the mould out. And then I used creamed honey, a very cold creamed honey. Now, for those of you that haven't heard of creamed honey, it's a solid form of honey. It's 100% natural honey, but it's been crystallised. And this is creamed honey, so it's kind of been blended a little bit to make really fine crystals in this solid honey. And my honey in particular was infused with with some powdered ginger and cinnamon. So it's like a spiced creamed honey, but you can just use straight creamed honey. I put about a quarter of a teaspoon of that. Because it's hard, you can almost roll it into a little ball. And I'll place that on top of the chocolate in the moulds. And then I get the rest of the liquid chocolate, another teaspoon on top to fill up those cavities, back in the fridge for another 20 minutes Once it's set, you pull your chocolate mould out, snap the chocolates out, and away you go. And eat them. Eat them. Okay. It does look very professional, Mm -hmm. like probably came out of a chocolate shop. Um, Would you say it's the sort of recipe you do with young kids? Could they put the chocolate around those moulds? Or is that too fiddly? They'd probably eat more than they would (laughs) spread around those moulds, but you can try. (laughs) Okay. Well, I must say they look spectacular. Well, look, let's get back to our quiz question. What does robbing mean? Mm. Is that the question? That is the question. (laughs) What does the term robbing mean in beekeeping? Would you like to have a go at answering that? Well, I've stopped using it because I've always thought it was such a mean, nasty word because we used to say, in fact, when I did that original bee course, when we go to rob the hive, mm -mm, we're robbing the hive. And it just felt wrong that we were robbing these creatures that we were looking after, supposedly. Up until the 80s. So it was part of the beekeeping lexicon, robbing, as you allure to it. It's the, the robbing, the taking, the thieving of the honey from the hive. They changed that to say harvesting. 
So from about the 90s onwards, rather than, say, robbing the hive, we're now harvesting our honey. We're not robbing the honey. Well, I still mix with beekeepers who talk about robbing the hive. How old are they? (laughs) (laughs) Either way, we know what it means. It means we are taking honey from the beehive. So that's one explanation. There are other meanings for the term robbing in beekeeping. Another one, when we think of robbing, thieving, Stealing, stealing of the hives. Someone's like my ants that stole the honey, or like the person that stole your hive. Yes, so he's a thief. Yeah, he robbed. Okay, so that's another another explanation, and the one that's probably the most common one now in relation to beekeeping and biosecurity is robbing of spilt honey or weaker hives or waste products from the extractive process. It's an actual behaviour that the bees suddenly take on. It's like it it triggers this response in bees when they can sense that there's some spilt honey outside their hives or there might be spilt sugar syrup. A few bees initially will suss it out. You know, they go there and they taste it. They go back to the hive and within minutes you can have hundreds of bees from all around, not just from one colony. They all find it and it's a frenzy. It's chaotic. It's aggressive. And you can't stop it. It's so hard. So if by accident you have been working your hives in your backyard and you may have left a sticky, you know, you've taken the honey out of it and you've got it in a box and it's ready Look, to put back on the to, hive. Do we have to, you know, admit our you know, errors on this podcast? You'll only do this once. <laughs> this is one of those lessons. It's a hard lesson. It's a frightening lesson when it does happen. And you learn quickly never to do that again. But there's also, you know, they'll rob from those exposed honey frames or spilt honey, things like that. They'll also rob from a weaker hive. And this is where we need to be careful because weaker hives can be an indication of a disease. So if a strong hive detects a weaker hive and says this is free food and they start going in and robbing, they set off bee wars There'll be a lot of dead bees outside that hive, but they will go in and completely strip the stores of honey from that weak colony and they'll take it back to their hive. There's been no gain here. There's no one wins in this. There's been no production of new honey. There's been a lot of bee deaths, a lot of aggression. One hive's missed out. It's it's lucked out completely. Okay, but there's two things here. There's the human silly there mistake is. and then there's the unfortunate circumstance yes. of a particular hive becoming weak. And being robbed yeah, by other bees. Yes, and the risk there is that that weak hive may be housing some form of bee brood disease, in particular the really nasty American fowl brood, and that's one of the ways it is spread to your colonies. And if you do end up with that in your hive, you have to destroy your hive. So it's something you need to manage for. You do not want to expose bees to honey. You don't want to trigger a robbing event. These bees are mean. And even your nicest hive can be triggered to this type of activity and aggression. And like I said, once it's started, it's really hard to stop. I've never experienced an event that I think in my apiary where one hive has been robbing another. Okay. I've, you know, I keep thinking, looking, because, you know, we talk about it, but I've never seen that. Mm, Okay. Beekeepers need to be a little bit careful when they do start to open their hives and start to either inspect their colonies or to start to take honey out of those hives, extracting the honey frames, that there isn't 
a dearth in nectar flow so that the bees, you want to only do that when the bees are busy, when they're onto a flow. Because if you start taking the lids off, you're going to release this aroma from that hive and other bees nearby are going to say, there's there's free honey. This, This is it. We'll be able to go. And it's on. Every hive is unique. Like the beekeepers. Great chatting, Danny. There's too much to talk about when it comes to bees. I look forward to our next chat. So do I. 